Okay. Yeah, and thanks again, everybody, uh, for dialing in. This is Jack Nian, the Life Science Tools and Diagnostics Analyst here at Nephron. I'm joined today uh, by my associate, Nisarg Shah. Uh, together, we wanted to walk you through, we did a big comprehensive update on our views for COVID-19 testing as we head into the fall. And uh, we're going to try and, and you know there's obviously a lot going on. We have the first debate tonight uh, ahead of the election. So I'll try and keep this quick and uh, walk through the thoughts. Just a little bit of a recap. Uh, when it was the end of August, you know, I feel like a lot of the stocks that had COVID-19 testing exposure in our coverage were almost trading like the pandemic was over. Uh, we'll show a little bit more of this in terms of the testing rates, but uh, whether it was the summer sun or the fact that caseloads were starting to come down across parts of the country or the vaccines entering phase three trials, uh, you know, there was definitely a bit of a lag for, uh, you know, stock performance for companies with exposure to COVID-19 testing. And uh, it is quite remarkable, just, you know, obviously this virus, it's very volatile, uh, continue to learn a lot more. And, you know, the more we see, you know, we think some of this recent weakness is going to create a buying opportunity uh, for companies in our coverage with exposure to COVID testing. So just a few actions. Uh, you know, as we size the market, we still see a real significant opportunity for testing across both our diagnostics coverage and for the national labs. Uh, you know, we now size the market for diagnostics at $9 billion this year and $24 billion in 2021. That does include both PCR and antigen testing. On the lab side, this is just a PCR number. Uh, our, these numbers are actually pretty similar for the labs uh, at over 12 billion this year, 15 billion next year. Uh, I will note, because I've gotten this question a little bit today, um, I do think uh, the way we've approached it is we assume testing goes through the end of 2021. I thought about getting cute with it and being like, oh, do we build in a little bit of summer seasonality next year? But you know, ultimately, there's still so much we don't know about the outlook. You know, I feel like it was probably a little too early to be making guesses like that. Um, here are some of our projections by company. Just as a reminder, we did update our forecast for Thermo Fisher and for Hologic over the last uh, few weeks. For the diagnostic side, a lot of this comes down to manufacturing capacity. Uh, I'll hit this on Quidel next. Um, you know, recently, Quidel has made a lot of progress at expanding their capacity for uh, antigen testing. So, you know, because of that, we feel like, um, and just given the broader demand outlook, we've raised our forecasts uh, for Quidel. If I look at the most recent quarter, just to kind of highlight the level of upside, which could be coming through, uh, we're now 5% above the street for the third quarter in terms of revenue. Um, you know, and frankly, there could be upside to that. It really depends on how much uh, the company ships. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if I look out to 2021, just depending on the persistence of this virus, I uh, think there could be additional upside there. I've been a little bit, you know, relative to the national lab has been a little bit more valuation sensitive for Quidel. The way we've approached it, valuation for all the companies in our coverage is we're putting a multiple on a post COVID number 2022, um, and then adding a per share value for what the COVID upside looks like. Um, in the case of Quidel, as an example, our $175 price target includes about 
$145 for the base business and about $30 of per share COVID value. On the lab side, here are our forecast for LabCorp and Quest. Uh, when we run that similar analysis around valuation, I see a lot of upside for both Quest and LabCorp. Um, you know, I think we're being pretty fair in terms of our approach. Um, for uh, Quest as an example, we build in $10 per share of value related to COVID for LabCorp. That same analysis is about $12 of per share value. Uh, both companies, a lot of upside relative to where they're trading today. And the crux is, you know, and we're going to walk through these details in a little bit. Uh, no. We're going to elaborate a little bit more, but wanted to just highlight off the bat um, how there's really a lot of upside that we see in 2021 uh, for Quest. Uh, you know, we're 36% above the street on EPS for LabCorp. We're 30% above the street. And that's really a function of uh, the the leverage on their fixed cost infrastructure that comes in through testing. So now into like the mean potatoes of the thesis, um, just a mark to market for where we are with COVID cases. Um, you know, in the US uh, on the top left, obviously after you had the initial outbreak and then there was this resurgence which took place across, um, you know, a large part of the South, you know, as you headed into June and July, and then cases started to come in. Um, what we're seeing after Labor Day, though, is there has been another pickup here in the U.S. Um, this is partially because testing rates have moved higher. Having said that, the positivity rate's been stubbornly around 5%. Actually, as this call was starting, uh, there's some headlines that for the first time in a few months, the positivity rate in New York City is back above 3%. So uh, don't call it a comeback. You know, the virus never really went anywhere. Um, the, it's obviously a pandemic for a reason. Um, you know, this, this is not the flu. The side effects are a lot worse. Um, you know, since just in the month of September, there's been an average of about 770 people per day who pass away from the virus. And I actually like this chart in the bottom right. This is a uh, trailing uh, case fatality rate for COVID-19. I don't like the results of the chart, but I, I do think it's helpful to show that if you look over the last seven days, you know, it's not like, you know, we're obviously tr uh, managing patients who get infected better, you know, versus when you had the outbreak earlier in the year. But, you know, the even within the last seven days, you have roughly 2% case fatality rate. That's a lot higher than the flu. Um, also, you know, this is not just a U.S. phenomenon. If you look across uh, Europe, and one of the things I think Josh Raskin and Eric Percher do a really great job of is with their daily tracker is if you look across parts of Europe, there are outbreaks which are escalating again, uh, whether it's France uh, or in Italy or in Spain. So, you know, I think it's too early to say, you know, this pandemic is definitely not over. And as we head into the winter and into a new respiratory season, it gets cold, people go indoors. Um, you know, I think that need to be prepared. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I think it kind of bolsters. So how long is testing gonna last? Um, you know, I think, again, going back to where I started around the stock performance, I think there was this view in August that vaccines were right around the corner. 
Um, you know, we've done a lot of work on the vaccine opportunity for our coverage. I do think there's potential for EUAs in November and December, um, but a broad FDA approval with large scale manufacturing. The CDC recently came out and said mid 2021 at best, um, the Serum Institute of India, which is one of the largest scale manufacturers of vaccines is actually saying not until 2024. Um, I don't know, you know, we'll see. If you look at these big phase three studies like Moderna and Pfizer, which are getting run, uh, the enrollment is moving pretty quick. Uh, but again, it's, there's a lot of follow-up which is gonna be needed to take place before we can actually read out on any of that. Um, also, don't bet on herd immunity. Uh, this slide just highlight that uh, even in really hard hit areas of the country, you're still, well away from what's going to be needed to draw this to a natural conclusion, which experts estimate is anywhere from 60 to 70% infection rates. Uh, and by the way, I would just highlight, based on the quality of the serology tests and the sample sizes, I really wouldn't read much, you know, I'd be careful about reading too much into this data, um, you know, overall. So, now that we kind of think, you know, continue to have a really strong view that testing is going to go at least into 2021, um, how much testing is needed? I actually thought uh, Trump's press conference yesterday was perfect timing for our note. Uh, on this slide, we just show um, this was an analysis done by the Rockefeller Foundation, which has been advocating for large scale testing at nursing homes and in schools to reopen the economy. And they've laid out these scenarios where anywhere from 72 million to 193 million tests per month are gonna be needed, which equates to about three to six million tests per day in the US. Um, you know, even last night you heard from uh, the president and Abbott that, you know, about 150 million Binax Now tests are gonna hit the market over the next few months directed directly at these areas. Um, you know, so that, you know, over a million tests per day just there is gonna be coming in to help cope with the things needed to keep the economy open. Uh, in the context of all that demand, there has been a big debate about PCR versus antigen testing and which one is better. Um, given the demand outlook, my view is that um, it probably doesn't matter. Um, when I talk with lab directors, the feedback that I hear is that there isn't a lot of value in antigen testing. They don't think it's sensitive enough to pick up on the asymptomatic patients. And Nisarg is going to hit on this a little bit later from our survey work with some of the physicians, though. The feedback is if you run enough of them, eventually you're going to capture the person that's infected. Um, I kind of like this chart on the bottom of the slide. This is an a recent analysis by the FDA looking at limit of detection for testing as a measure of quality. So what level of viral material per milliliter is needed for a test to capture um, a patient that's been infected. And what's interesting is a lot of the molecular tests on the left side are sensitive enough to pick up on the asymptomatic spread. Whereas if you look on the right, antigen-based approaches, it is a fair critique, you know, for asymptomatic spread, which is a big issue with COVID-19, uh, not necessarily good enough. But again, given the demand outlook, it might not matter. Uh, back to one of the concerns from August was looking at supply and demand. And there was this view that supply and demand were way out of balance. Um, this is the supply side of the equation. 
Um, what you can see is on the top, the green shows the scale up of PCR supply. This is an annual run rate um, versus the blue is the point of care approach. And a lot of the recent supply hitting the market has been on the point of care side. Uh, Abbott, 50 million tests per month with Binax now. Uh, Roche scaling up to 80 million tests per year by the uh, per month by the end of the year. Uh, Quidel, they're going to get to well over 3 million by the time you get to 2021. Uh, so, you know, collectively, that's really been building. Uh, you have seen the PCR companies scaling demand as well, notably Thermo uh, going from 10 million tests uh, per week today, you know, aiming at 20 million per week come October. When I put together the demand outlook with the supply outlook, um, I actually, you know, I entered this analysis with a totally open mind as to what I was going to come to. And I thought it was interesting that the markets actually look more in balance than I think the market is giving them credit for, at least as we head into the next respiratory season. So on the left is, is you know, you can see the daily supply of point of care tests um, based on the supply analysis on the prior slide. Uh, basically, we assume the U.S. is half the global market. And when you map that out versus the demand outlook from the groups uh, from the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, you know, around anywhere from three to six million point of care tests per day needed, supply, supply is actually right in the middle of the potential demand outlook scenarios. Um, if I look at the PCR side of the equation, what we've assumed is some of that overflow demand is going to go into PCR, though uh, you're actually seeing some cases where you're running both antigen and PCR confirmatory, um, you know, that market actually seems relatively balanced to me as well. Then finally, kind of what is the data showing us? You know, what's actually going on? Um, I think the last three weeks have given us better visibility for a couple of reasons. First, the antigen tests have started to scale up. Um, you know, Quidel hit the market in May. They've been building capacity all summer. Becton entered the market, they've been scaling capacity. Abbott's been entering the market. Despite that, uh, this chart shows three different databases that we look at. In blue is uh, a data set from HHS, which only looks at PCR testing rates. Uh, the green is the COVID tracking project, which also includes antigen, but it's not perfect. And then the red is the weekly rates uh, published by the national labs. And what I think is interesting is despite antigen ramping up, the HHS blue data set shows there's, it's been additive to the market. You haven't seen this cannibalization of PCR, uh, which makes us feel a little bit better about our thesis for companies like Hologic, LabCorp, and Quest, which, we, which we've been bullish on. Um, and also on the bottom, what's interesting is, you know, we always assume that LabCorp and Quest's share was going to drift lower as testing scales up and there's more decentralization. Um, but they're actually holding their own pretty well. And I think that speaks to the strength of LabCorp and Quest relationships with physician offices and health systems and through their own patient service centers to help uh, cope with the demand. On the reimbursement side, uh, this is kind of a key catalyst to watch is we need an extension of the emergency funding. This is tied to the national public health emergency. HHS extended that uh, in the June-July timeframe through the end of October. Um, this $100 rate for PCR is attached to 
as long as the emergency is still in place, the labs will continue to get paid $100. So um, this should not be political, but I am obvious, I'm not naive, we're going into an election, so somehow testing has become political, but uh, we will be watching for that extension. Um, and that would be something that would come out from HHS and Secretary uh, Azar. Uh, Nisarg, I'll turn it over to you now to walk through the survey uh, slides. Uh, thanks, Jack. So turning to slide 24, last week we completed a point of care survey for 30 physicians for COVID-19 related testing. Um, we screened for 30 doctors running more than 50 tests a day. We had an average of 164 with a range of 50 to 450. Um, we saw pretty broad-based responses across the states. Um, Florida had the most amount of responses with six, followed by California, New York, and uh, Texas. Um, turning to slide 25, um, unsurprisingly, there's a broad demand for COVID-19-related testing with physicians screening asymptomatic and symptomatic patients, as well as their own employees. Um, comparing our results to our July survey, we asked the same questions um, about symptomatic testing versus or symptomatic and asymptomatic testing and symptomatic patients were tested at roughly the same level but we saw a sharp increase in asymptomatic testing showing you know testing has continued to increase over the months um turning to slide 26 now in our survey we saw that abbott's id now had the broadest utilization we gave respondents respondents the ability to choose from eight options in alphabetical order and Abbott ID now saw the highest share of physician responses with 23 respondents or 77% uh, using the system for COVID-19 related testing versus, uh, well, looking at Abbott's COVID-19 website, it showed that they shipped 6 million ID now tests from August 14th, which was up from 4.5 million at the end of the second quarter or about 33,000 per day. Um, Binax now came in second, even though it was a relatively new entrant with 11 or 37% of responses. Abbott's Binax now received EUA approval on August 26th as a rapid antigen test. Um, they had the intention of manufacturing 50 million tests per month starting in October, and they've already shipped several million in September. And we expect Binax now share to increase as Abbott ramps up production in the second half of the year. And we're encouraged at the immediate share gain in the first month after following the release. And obviously with the press release yesterday with the president, you know, they're continuing to see demand um, for those antigen tests. And for Cepheid's gene expert, it tied for the third most votes with 10 positions, which was 33% utilizing the platform for COVID-19. Um, the gene expert was the first system to earn the FDA EUA approval on March 20th. On the margin, Cepheid's install base has a bias towards hospital labs versus physicians offices. So our survey of primary care physicians may have influenced this position in third place versus the physician's office itself. Um, Cepheid has an installed base of 26,000 at the end of the second quarter and the company has discussed manufacturing 2 million tests per month. Um, so turning to slide 27, what we thought was interesting was that antigen testing appears to be just growing the overall market. Um, we surveyed our 30 physicians on testing methods for symptomatic versus asymptomatic. And our physicians indicated there were situations where they would run both PCR and antigen testing. Uh, it was 23% for symptomatic, 16% for asymptomatic, which was in line with our expectations that or antigen testing is often confirmed with um, PCR. And this compared to asymptomatic for asymptomatic patients, 
we saw that our 30 physicians only ran or ran only antigen tests 41% of the time compared to 35% of the time for PCR. Um, to contrast this, the physicians preferred running only PCR testing for symptomatic patients with respondents indicating PCR only in 36% of patients versus 33% for antigen only. Um, turning to slide 28, we saw that the doctors generally think that the antigen testing accuracy is good enough for fast and frequent uh, screening. So one of the major areas for focus is around physician adoption for antigen testing for asymptomatic patients, given the benefits of like a rapid turnaround time offset by, you know, relatively lower sensitivity compared to PCR. In our survey, the responding physicians indicated that antigen testing is generally good um, with nearly identical performances across symptomatic and asymptomatic patient, patients. And the majority of the respondents we saw said that antigen testing was average accuracy overall. So turning to slide 29, looking forward into the flu season, we think there's gonna be a demand for fluvid tests, which can offer rapid diagnosis across multiple infectious disease categories. And in our survey, respondents said they expect to move roughly 63% of their tests from COVID-19 only detection testing to multi-analyte approaches, which is up from 56% of our July 2020 survey. Um, we asked these uh, physicians in our survey if multi-analyte approaches were, if they were available, what percentage of their point of care tests would they run on such a method versus COVID-19 today? And taking the midpoint of those ranges, our survey physicians suggested on average that the multi-analyte test would represent roughly 63% of the testing that they run. And looking at some of the data overall, 23 out of 30 physicians or 77% expected the fluvid panels to replace roughly half of their testing. Looking a little bit closer at the qualitative responses, um, 28 or 93% of the physicians expressed support of the multi-analyte panel for its cheaper cost, um, more efficient uses of resources and time and the ability to differentiate between viruses with similar symptoms. Um, an interesting comment that we saw from one of the physicians was that if recent, if there's recent symptoms, then they can treat the flu. But if there's other positives, they have a source and they can trust the COVID-19 uh, result more, the negative COVID-19 result more. So, you know, it's kind of like a protection against if another virus ends up being positive, then you can trust the virus or trust the previous PCR antigen results for COVID-19 that much more. Um, and finally, on slide 30, we expect there to be more insourcing as diagnostic supply constraints ease. So respondents in our survey expect to increase on-site testing 870 BIPs from 67, 65.7% today to 74.3% by the end of the year. And relative to our July survey, insourcing rates for COVID-19 testing have moved uh, 1,700 BIPs higher. And at the same time, physicians indicated that 49% of their testing was run on site. And in the future, we didn't define timing um, for that July survey. The same respondents expected to run 63% of their detection testing on site rather than outsource, showing that you know their current the current survey we just ran was already higher than what physicians had expected to run back in July uh, for the future. And uh, with that, I'll turn it back to Jack. Yeah, thanks, Nisar. So maybe just to conclude um, and put this in the context of our overall thesis, you know, our call is, you know, if you look out over the next six months, I don't want to sound too Dragonian, but the virus is not over. So for our coverage, we've preferred 
uh, having exposure to companies uh, that are tied to investment with COVID-19 testing, COVID-19 drug development, uh, and COVID-19 research. Um, on the testing theme specifically, we like Thermo Fisher and Danaher. We like uh, Hologic uh, in the diagnostics coverage. And we're, we've also been recommending LabCorp and Quest, uh, where just see a lot of upside to the 2021 numbers. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, at least I feel like the biggest updates we have again today are, you know, demand looks strong. We're not seeing this cannibalization of PCR and antigen, um, and it seems to be growing the overall market. I'm not sure if anybody has any quick questions. I appreciate you all dialing in. Uh, let me check my email quickly. Otherwise, feel free to unmute yourself. I'm happy to answer any quick questions. Okay. Well, with that, um, yeah, thank you again, everybody, for dialing in on short notice. Uh, wish you good luck, and we will chat soon.